At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, a stunner from the street's most bullish firm, which says stocks could hit a near-term peak this week. That firm, none other than Fundstrat. Its chief strategist, none other than Tom Lee, joining us momentarily to weigh in on your money's next move. Our investment committee debating all of it. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vingello, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, also with us today is Anastasia Amoroso. She's the chief investment strategist at iCapital Network. Let's check stocks today. You know by now they're lower. We are focused. Well, the S&P is now uh, just a smidge positive and the Nasdaq's albeit flat. There's the 10-year note yield 161. We do focus, though, on that big eyebrow raiser today from Fundstrat's chief technical strategist who says this week could be a turning point for stocks, at least in the near term. Let's welcome in Fundstrat's Tom Lee for more. I appreciate you joining me on what is a very interesting note, Tom. Thanks for being here. Yeah, great to see you, Scott. So your head of technical strategy is Mark Newton, and you say that he believes the S&P 500 might be near a peak by the end of this week. This, in turn, likely results in some consolidation, which could retrace 38 to 50 percent of the move from October before markets can push higher into December. So we're about 9 percent higher since the beginning of October. Let me ask you first and foremost, do you agree with your chief technical strategist on what he has to say? Uh, Mark Newton's been exceptionally good at making tactical observations at turning points. So uh, I would I think it warrants us warning clients. And that's why I I made it so prominent in our commentary to clients today. Uh, I think there are some fundamental factors sort of supporting this. You know, one is there is uh, a macro uncertainty now with regard to Fed chair. And as you know, if, if there is a change in chairmanship, the markets are going to test that person. So I think it does create poor visibility. And we know COVID cases are rising. And while we don't want clients to be alarmed, uh, it, 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 it looks like you know, we're going to have something that looks like wave four underway. And I think it, it's, it's reflected in why there's been a rotation into defensives. And I think a defensive-led rally isn't as healthy, especially into the period into Thanksgiving. So I I'd agree that I think that we could have a speed bump and and hopefully it's not 5 percent, but it could be something that warrants warning clients. But you think we're at what excuse me, the words that you just used, um, a turning point potentially. And hearing you say that is big news to our viewers, for sure, given how bullish you've been. I said you guys have been the most bullish uh, firm on the street. You've been certainly right up there at the top in terms of strategists. You, you told me the last time that you were here, which was only a couple of weeks ago, 4,800 on the S&P is your year-end target. Wouldn't even surprise you if we could get to 5,000 uh, by the end of the yes. year. This feels like a real turn, Tom. Uh, Scott, you know, it's, uh, as you know, it's hard to tell uh, what, what could happen at a turning point. So I, I might say that our base case remains whatever happens is a viable pullback. 
I, I think we still exit the year strong because it's just it, it would be a textbook uh, pullback into a December rally. And that means we could still be 4,800 or 4,850, but it wouldn't be from 4,700 here. It could be from a, a lower level. So it, it, it actually ends up being a, a very viable dip. So we may just and have I to, think, we, I'm sorry, we may just yes. have to work. For, forgive me, Tom. We may just have to work a little bit harder to get to your, your optimistic target of 4,800. That's right. And I think the one thing I'm going to I'm watching in the next couple of weeks is just, you know, relative strength, because, you know, there is uh, there has been some weakness developing in some sectors. So I, I, that's what I'm watching. But for now, I, I think the market overall is healthy and it's great to see the Nasdaq rally, because, as you know, that's that really is anchoring uh, a higher S&P as a Nasdaq rally. You, you write about tech being, quote unquote, exhausted um, or at least uh, feeling exhaustion. Um, is that what we see now? Um, and, and the Nasdaq, you know, after having an, an incredible run, is going to potentially lead the decline lower, at least in that near term? Yeah, uh, I think and that's Mark's words. And I think what he's referring to is things like semis, which, you know, did have a, a, what looks like a little bit of a parabolic lift. But there's parts of tech that still look strong, like system software. So I think there's enough health in tech that there's no break in trend, but it, but what he's referring to is the idea that you're going to have a, a pause that refreshes. And as you know, in this kind of market, especially so close to your end, people just treat 2% drawdowns like it's a, it's a, you know, it's an annihilation. So I think there is a chance for people to overreact and that's why you, you'd need to buy that. Too. And let me ask you about the Fed chair question, which you brought up, which I was going to ask you about anyway, um, and how the market would view that, you know, Brainerd may bring on more regulation. Certainly, that's one of the issues that people are talking about. Um, Clearly, she may be more dovish, which would be a positive viewed by the market, I would assume. But it sounds to me like the mere change of uh, of the person in the chair would be risky enough at this particular juncture. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a bull market killer, but I think it's an adverse development uh, changing the Fed chair and, you know, so close to the end of the year and one year into an expansion. Uh, you, you know, I just I don't think from a timing perspective, that's great. And that's also, as you know, markets, the bond market especially is going to test a Fed chair. But it also really speaks to the idea that progressives have enough power to actually force a change of the Fed. I mean, this has very little to do with the Fed, and it looks like it has more to do with wrangling over the budget process and and infrastructure bills. Let me get our committee involved in the conversation. I know they'd like to, um, beginning with Farmer Jim, my my Mr. All In, um, who has been in lockstep with you, Tom, all the way up uh, for the most part. And and Jim, what do you make of of what Tom Lee and his technical strategist, his head of technical strategy, Mark Newton, are saying now about the potential of topping out this week, at least in the near term? Of course, I pay attention to what Tom says because he and his firm have been so right for so long. I'm not going to try to time what what Tom you just referred to as a speed bump. I don't think you're really suggesting that I try to time that. If the market goes down five percent over a few days, that's okay. We're we're all long term investors, Scott and and everybody. Just so you know, what my my thought is here, I'm absolutely all in through year end. Okay, that that is my strong message. When we get to the back half of January, this setup reminds me very much of 2017 into 2018. I'll bet we crescendo into January, but by middle of January, I'm going to start taking some risk off the table. Um, The only thing really that could move that timeline up for me is if Congress really starts messing around with this debt ceiling situation. 
We're not sure when the X date is the Treasury really runs out of money. Hopefully it's January. And so I don't have to change my tune. But that's the only thing that really worries me. Technicals matter, but I'm not likely to trade on it. I respect Tom and his uh, technical analyst. He knows that. But I'm going to stay all in. I'm going to stay all in. Part of this also, Scott, comes from the fact that the stocks that I own have just recently come out of consolidation. So if you look at the surge in the Qualcomm's, the General Motors, even the Apple's of the world, I do not see these as overbought at all. So I'm very loath to try to lighten up on them right now. So, you know, Tom also said, interestingly, that this is, yes, it comes by way of his chief technical strategist, but there are fundamentals as well that are at play here. So it's a, you know, two sides to the coin as to why we may be uh, at a, a near term inflection point. Anastasia, are we are we toppy? Um, everybody's been talking about seasonality is on the bull side that the three months that we're right in the middle of now are the most bullish of the year for stocks. You carry that into into next year. Or is it time to think that we may have that pause and get ready to buy it? I do tend to agree with uh, Tom here, Scott, because if you think about the positive seasonality that we've had so far in Q4, we've had that and then some. For example, the average Q4 return tends to be about 4.5% over the last 20 years. Well, we're up 9%. And I do agree with Tom in terms of some of the technical indicators being a little bit stretched here, being a little bit overbought. But there is a few fundamental clouds on the horizon as well. Uh, I could point to COVID cases not only in the United States, but also in China. They've been increasing. In Germany, I was just in Germany last week, and the cases there are pretty significantly higher. And then, But the biggest thing for me is probably the potentially policy pivots that we could expect in December. The Fed was very dovish in November, but I'm not so sure they're going to be so dovish in December because we get maybe a new Fed chair and fine, maybe that's more dovish. But the big thing that we get is the new dots for 2022. And in the meantime, we got better payrolls reports, strong retail sales. We got inflation at 6.2%. So I'm really watching for the potential hawkish pivot here from the Fed. And that's one of the things that could potentially pull this market back. So my take on this, of course, you stay along this market because the fundamentals are supportive. But there's pockets of tactical trades that have worked really well that you could probably take some profits Mm -hmm. in. For example, semiconductors. Talk about a sector that's done really well, which we've liked since the beginning of October. It's up 18 percent. And as Tom said, some of the moves there have been parabolic. So I would not mind taking some profits in semis right now. So, Tom, I've got one more question for you, and I'm going to let you run so I can continue to kick it around with the gang. And it relates again back to to covid. Um, And I ask you this because you have routinely been one of the more positive voices looking at the data and trying to figure out what all of that is going to mean. Um, from a reopening standpoint and certainly to the all-in trade that you had and where the stock market was going to go. Is that the biggest risk factor that you see right now, this resurgence of cases in Europe? There are pockets and states in this country where cases are on the rise. We here in the Northeast haven't even really had um, a big push of the Delta variant yet. It's, you know, people are moving inside. It's getting cold. We're going to gather for the holidays, et cetera. Is that the biggest risk that you currently see? Uh, Scott, uh, that's, yeah, that, that is. And, but the mechanism is probably a little surprising. We, we studied this this week that when you look at the summer wave, COVID cases began to rise in July, but the media and sort of Google search trends on Delta variant didn't really surge until September. And that's when the market took it in the gut. So it's really at the point where consumers panic. 
Now, Germany policymakers are panicking because of the COVID spike that Anastasia mentioned. But in the U.S., you know, there's nine states with cases higher than Germany. A place like Vermont's had an 80 times increase in cases since July, 80x. Yet nobody in Vermont is panicking. There's no consumer panic nor policymaker panic. So in a way, I don't think it warrants people to say consumers are going to cancel travel. And then the big data is not going to pick it up and the market doesn't have to take it in the gut. But in the meantime, it's kind of strange. But as you know, this week, as the cases start to rise, uh, things that are like cruise lines are starting to weaken. So, I mean, the message to the market to me is, you know, they're, they are paying attention. And, and if it does worsen, maybe maybe that's pressure on some of these uh, cyclical trades. All right. We'll see. Um, we'll see where it all goes. I know you had something on your plate that you made time for us for. I'm grateful for that, Tom. Thank you. We'll talk to yeah. you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Scott. All right. That's fun stretch. Tom Lee joining us. Um, all right, Joe. What do you make of what TL had to say? Well, I put my risk manager hat on and I think about where exactly the pain would be. Where's the outsized risk? Where has everyone been overtly bullish? Those would be the assets that I look at. So I look at energy. I look at what crude oil is doing. I look at natural gas. I actually look at cryptocurrencies. I'm studying what that is doing. I'm looking at the value trade, whether it's the casinos or the airlines, because I think ultimately it would be more reflective of the type of internal rotation that we've experienced throughout the year. I don't think it would be a broad-based overall equity index sell-off. I think it's more specific to where the money has actually been and where there is extreme bullishness. That's what you have to identify in the terms of what your risk might be looking forward. You know, we thought we were going to have, Steve Weiss, uh, this pullback that, you know, what, the S&P pulled back a couple months ago at 5%. And and then we had this, this resurgence and the bulls grabbed the narrative back. And then they had seasonality on their side, too. And now I'm just wondering how you, you see things in light of what Tom Lee and his chief technical strategist are saying. Well, I, I think there are two audiences for what Tom says, and he's, he's been absolutely dead right on the market. The first audience is that shouldn't listen. And those are the ones that are staying invested that don't have cash. And the reason they shouldn't listen is because the market pulled back at any point in time, 3 to 5%. That's essentially what they're saying before moving higher. However, where it does have value is if you're sitting in cash and you're saying, wait, I may get an opportunity to buy here. But again, that's if you buy markets. I buy stocks. Most people on the show buy stocks. So I'm, tend to look, I'm tending to look at the bottoms up fundamentals. In my view, in terms of the overall market, since that's your question, though, here's what I'd say. I'd say that, look, there is tons of optimism in the market. We keep seeing it reset every day. Even today, Tom continued to be optimistic while being careful not to disagree with his technical strategists. They come at it different ways. I think the market can move higher post-Thanksgiving. However, here's the biggest caution. The biggest caution is on December 10th, we get CPI. On December 14th, we get PPI. Those could be very destabilizing numbers for the market. I guess, though, look what happened last time. You had the hottest CPI in 30 years. The market, like, exactly. all but yawned. I mean, uh, you know, right? The Dow was down, well, like, I don't know, 0.8% at the worst. And the uh, S&P went down 06 and then it rallied right back. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why that is. It rallied because you had a massive short interest in the 10-year, 
and even in the longer end of the curve, but primarily in the shorter end of the curve. And when they didn't get the response that they thought they'd get from those inflation numbers, they covered taking 10-year year, year yield down to 1.45. Now we're seeing it move up. My bet is you won't see that kind of reaction if we get those inflation numbers again. And there's no reason to expect that we won't with all the news we're hearing from mm-hmm. CEOs. Mm-hmm. So I'd be very cautious going into the market right. in terms of year end, in terms of the first, second week in December. So, Brenda, look, it's not like, you know, we, we highlight Tom Lee because we highlight him a lot. And when they're bullish and they make a call and they've been right, I think they deserve the spotlight. And when they change, at least in the near term, part of their call, I think they deserve it again. But they're not the loudest voice um, in the room necessarily. Goldman today says the shorter term outlook remains supportive for equities. Bernstein remaining overweight equities. Not that Tom Lee or anybody else is going underweight. Um, Where do you come down on where we currently stand today and what you think is in store for the next couple of months? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's pockets of the market that certainly look overvalued. And so that's a, p- a place where I would suggest that people take some profits here. But I think when we look from a much bigger, pers- bigger, longer term perspective here, we can't deny that earnings growth has continued to be exceptionally strong. Profit margin expansion has been phenomenal, all in the face of a higher cost environment. So even though we might get higher inflationary numbers so far, it really does not seem to be impacting corporate profitability or their consumer's desire to spend. Although the one thing we are focused on, which we won't really have clarification on probably till early next year, is is the consumer buying earlier than they normally would because they're worried about availability of product heading into the holiday season. We've been told this over and over again, um, and this time I think people truly believe it, um, that they need to get out early. Um, And so we worry a little bit that there might be a pulling forward of demand on the retail side. But from a big picture perspective, we're still constructive on the market, still think you'll have a higher return in the stock market that you're likely, than you're likely to see in bonds um, throughout the, the remainder of the year. So I, I want to get more into this idea of whether there's exhaustion, the word that they've used, in the tech space. I asked you that question, and not two seconds ago, Gina Francola on her market's desk texts or emails that Microsoft hits a new all-time high. And then I see... NVIDIA is reporting after the bell today, and that's been an incredible stock. It's the best performing stock in the NASDAQ 100 this year. Anastasia, I'm going to come to you in a second. But, Brenda, then I noticed that you you trimmed NVIDIA. So are you thinking that there's exhaustion somewhat in some of these highest of high-flying tech stocks? Yeah, I think with NVIDIA, you know, as you mentioned, it's the best one of the best performing stocks of the year. It's up 40% just in the last month. (laughs) And really, since we first established a position in March of last year, it's up more than 350%. So it's it's clearly been a phenomenal stock. We think the fundamentals of the company are still likely to be incredibly strong when they report tonight. But we have to ask ourselves where the expectations have gone here uh, for for um, a beat and, and raising of expectations. Um, so even though we continue to really like this company and really like the positioning within the semiconductor industry in terms of their exposure to faster growing innovative parts of the business, um, we think this is worthy of a trim. And as I mentioned earlier, I think some areas of the market are a little overdone, and this is one of them yeah. where I would suggest on trimming. Talk about high bar, Joe. You bought you bought it in early September at two hundred and twelve dollars. The highest street target right now is from Rosenblatt Securities, and that's four hundred bucks. So Brenda says, you know what? It's looking mm-hmm. kind of frothy, maybe. I'm going to take my money at least a little bit off the table, protect myself going into the number when the bar is, as we said, growing higher by the moment, it would suggest. 
What about you? Well, I expect actually tonight that NVIDIA is, uh, is going to be challenged here with earnings with extremely, extremely bullish expectations. And we're going to have to come through with a significant market share grab on the data center side. And certainly the revenue is going to have to grow significantly there. It's not going to be about gaming. It's not going to be out the, about the cloud, which it was uh, just one year ago in the quarter that was so incredibly strong. You're going to see the revenue is going to be really strong. But Scott, I'm going to stay with NVIDIA. I'm going to stay with my exposure to semis and software because here's what I suspect. I suspect that if Tom Lee and his chief technical strategist is correct, and there is going to be a little bit of a shakeout in the market, it's going to occur in the places I identified before. It's going to occur in crypto assets. It's going to occur in energy. It's going to occur in a lot of the value-oriented stocks winners. that have recovered so significantly. And guess where? The recent winners. The recent winners. Yeah. Guess where that capital is going to flow? It's going to flow right back into the large and mega cap growth-oriented technology names where you've got the reliability of sustained revenue growth and you've got the pristine balance sheet. So NVIDIA, it clearly fits those characteristics. I'll endure a little bit of sell-off here because I believe over the coming months that that stock is going to march towards that $400 price target. Uh, you're giving back about 850 right now, a um, few hours before that number. Anastasia, is tech exhausted? I think it's getting there near term. I mean, I'm totally with Joe that you can't sell out of these long term positions because at the end of the day, this is where investors are going to step in and buy in a pullback. Tech is where the growth is. But I do think whether you look at semiconductors, whether you look at software, they're among the top performing sectors uh, quarter to date. And I think they are approaching a little bit exhausted. My hunch is that we saw record breaking chasing in terms of call options buying just a couple of weeks ago. And probably a lot of that chasing has been happening in semiconductors. So I do think that we're due for a pullback here. If we get it, I think we collectively would feel a lot better about investing uh, in technology shares. But I do suspect a bit of a pullback here. To Tom's point, this has been the everything rally. And now we just may be due for kind of an everything breather here. That includes tech. And I do agree with Joe that that probably includes energy as well, uh, because there's a few negative catalysts for oil and the horizon shaping up here as well. Weiss, do we so, need- um, get ready to buy, but not at these levels. OK, sorry about that. Weiss, do, do we need to look at the SMH and the chip stocks as sort of ground zero for what could be um, a lead of the, the pullback? I mean, the, the SMH is up 15 and a half percent in a single month. You have exposure through Corvo and Skyworks. Now, I, I come to you thinking that, okay, you endured some pain as both of those stocks got absolutely crushed, and then you stepped in and said enough's enough. You saw some value creation there by the pullback, so you bought more. Now, I'm wondering how you're sitting feeling, thinking about that space in general now, given the fact that you put more money to work. Right. Well, you know, I also own Terra 9, which is up, I don't know, 35%. No, it's up a lot. It's up 34% in a month. Up. Yeah. Yep. And that one I actually trimmed a little because it was up so much in, in much quicker than I expected. But it's still a decent-sized position. Look, yeah, the SMH overall, and this has been an index market, lots happening underneath, could be subject to some trimming. But I, I just don't use terms like, no offense, Anastasia, because I, I admire your work. I don't use terms like exhaustion, things like that, when I'm investing. And I look long term and actually I seasonally. I don't, know, I don't know why you're saying that about her. She's not the one who used it. It was in the Tom Lee note. You, I would agree with well, that. Well, because we'll she's the most recent one that sent it. Oh, I, 
Okay. She's the most recent one that said it. and, 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 you know, I like her more. No, I love Tom. He worked for me. He's a great guy. But here, look, the, in fact, the semis that are in chip, chips that are in phones seasonally, it begins in January. So I'm looking to buy on dislocations. NVIDIA is just going through to me what's happening with Target. They're saying, you know what? Lots of expectations of Target. That traded down. I don't want to be in NVIDIA and see that trade down because everybody expects them to really explode out of the quarter. So I'd look to buy that if it got hit, actually. What about Target? Since you brought it up, um, you know, obviously, fine quarter. Stock was getting hit hard. And the last time I looked, it was down 5% right before I walked out here to sit down. There it is. Yeah, it, 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 it traded up into the quarter. They experienced some margin pressure. But anytime you've sold it because of, of these, what I would call a nuance in the quarter, it's been a mistake. So I think the stock still rallies. I think you could see a $300 handle on this, and it won't be expensive. We'll have it it's still at a market discount, despite everything they're doing. They're clear winners and losers in retail. Target is a winner above all, and they're not, they're not going to lose all the customers they picked up during the pandemic. They're staying there for a long time. Now, Joe Terranova, if anybody knows anything about you, um, they know that you don't mind buying high as long as you can sell higher, right? Nope. Wrote that book Correct. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of TJX <laughs> when I think of that, that headline and that cover because they beat the stocks up 8%, and you bought TJX. Absolutely. It's it's the exact confidence that I'm looking for in a technical formation from a company. Uh, at the end of October, it was added to Joe T. I was alerted to that. I've been watching TJX ever since. I waited for earnings today. I wanted to hear the fundamental story. And what I loved about it is the CEO is basically saying, come shop with us. We have everything you need. The inventory is here. We've heard so much about the concerns about the holiday shopping season and the inability for goods to be provided for customers that actually want to purchase them. That's not the case at TJX. The margins were fantastic. The metrics of the earnings were sensational. And off-price apparel has strong positive momentum. Without question, I have no problem buying it here in the mid-70s because I think this is a stock that belongs easily in the mid-80s. All right, speaking of buying, I want to get through a couple of moves before we take our, our first break. Brenda, I see you. You bought more Boeing. or I'm sorry, booking. Don't talk about he Boeing. Did. You bought more booking and you <laughs> sold Gilead. I like, I've written all over my script. I can't even read it. We did. We sold Gilead. You know, we're still believers of the long term in the company's oncology business and the fact that that will ultimately be able to bear fruit. Uh, but for right here and now, it's all about remdesivir. And we just don't see that continuing as more new therapies come on the market that are faster and less cost, more cost effective. Um, we did add to booking. This is a company that reported a great quarter in the third quarter. Things are starting to improve. Their best customers are coming back and are more frequently um, using their service. Um, The stock, I think, is down uh, because of of what's happening in Europe, and they do have a strong European business, but they did just announce an acquisition of a U.S.-based company to continue to build out their exposure in the U.S. We think travel is coming back, and we think it's coming back most likely next year, and this company is very well positioned uh, with a a very profitable business model. They announced a bigger share buyback, so we think it's very well positioned, and it hasn't performed very well this year. Weiss, you have a move, too, which we'll get to before the end of the program today. I want to bounce, though, for a couple of minutes. Anastasia, it's always good to see you. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you again soon. Up next, we have the trades on some of today's biggest analyst calls, including one Dow stock Brenda Vangelo is buying more of. 
Halftime's back in two minutes. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The Federal Department of Education has started a civil rights probe of public schools in South Lake, Texas. At issue are allegations of racial and gender discrimination that go back years. The Carroll Independent School District has also received national attention for its plans to address racism and also update school programs on race, gender and sexuality. And on the news, the battle over what to teach in schools and how discrimination should be addressed tonight at 7 Eastern. In Louisiana, a 75-year-old man convicted of murder when he was a juvenile has been granted parole by a state board. Henry Montgomery was central to a Supreme Court case that opened the possibility of freedom for hundreds of juveniles who were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And get ready for yet another shortage, Christmas trees. Some holiday vendors say that trees are in tight supply. Higher shipping costs could also lead to prices 25% higher than last year. Experts say that the shortage is due to both supply chain issues and climate change. But, Scott, what is it more expensive this year? I know. Just add Christmas trees to the list. Exactly. All right. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, Steve Weiss, I, I teased the fact that you have a new move and you bought more T-Tech holdings. Yep, I did. So I thought they reported a good quarter with the exception of a nick from a security issue, which they quickly rectified. Look, the CEO founder owns 60% of this company, just over $4 billion. They are the leader in the digital experience for just about any online company you can name, from GM to Lulu to Amazon, you name it, and that business is growing. It's growing organically and through acquisition, highly fragmented. And I just can't imagine the CEO staying here on this cheap stock, not getting rewarded in the market and saying, you know what, I can do better as a private company. Now, I don't know if that's in the cards or not, obviously, but the point is very, very cheap growth, very, very cheap asset and a market leader. So why wouldn't I add to it here? Just a month ago, it was well over 100. So it's kind of illiquid with him owning 60 percent and indexes owning 20 percent. It doesn't take a lot to get it going in one direction or the other. And I think that's what's happening here. So I pounced on it. I right, appreciate you telling us about that. All right. Let's do some of our calls of the day today. Boeing leads us off today. Upgraded to overweight at Wells Fargo. They see positive risk reward reward. Excuse me. Uh, price target goes to 272 from 224. Brenda, you bought more Boeing. 
We did just add to Boeing yesterday. And, you know, when we look at potential catalysts for the company, as we head into the end of the year, we think it's highly likely that China will recertify the 737 MAX. And that would certainly be a positive. But for the bigger, longer term, we do see a uh, travel recovery happening, especially on the international side. And, you know, you have to remember that pre-pandemic and pre-737 MAX debacle, this company was earning $12 to $16 a share. And we think that's possible again, uh, given the backdrop that we currently see right now. So we, we think there is opportunity here. Okay. Uh, Farmer Jim, you hold your horses, okay? You, you're not going to get to talk about Boeing right now because Joe T is. <laughs> Because he's been looking at the technicals on the chart of Boeing. I, I got you coming up anyway, Farmer Jim. Don't worry. Joe T., what do you see in BA? Hey, Scott, yeah. two people will be, I, two people talking on Boeing will be enough. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not coming to you either. <laughs> Joe. Yeah. Uh, Scott, there's a, ver- there's a very interesting potential bullish setup for Boeing. Now, Brenda mentioned the fundamentals being the catalyst, and I respect that, but I've heard the fundamentals being the catalyst for Boeing for the better part of the last year and a half, certainly if you listen to my good friend Jimmy. This is about the opportunity that the technicals are actually providing. Go back and look here. Over the last four months, you have a series of attempts to break Boeing below $200. What has happened is it's found support three times on those challenges. It's building a very strong base. And the area that I would look towards now for confirmation of a technical breakout would be above $240. You clear that signal above 240 and I think this is a stock that will trade towards $300 over the coming months. Okay. Um, now, Farmer Jim, you do get to comment on Cleveland Cliffs because it was initiated today, outperform at Wolf. The target goes to 30. I mean, Steve, you've been giving Steve Weiss a piggyback ride uh, on this one for a while now. But what, <laughs> yeah, about, but what about CLF? <laughs> Yeah, buying everybody drinks on uh, Cleveland Cliffs earnings, except for Steve. Uh, He doesn't deserve it. But uh, look, Cleveland Cliffs, I know this has taken a few steps back here and people are saying, oh, my God, what do I do? Just be patient. okay? just remember the story with Qualcomm. Remember the story with General Motors. The cash flows are what you look for here. This thing has billions of dollars of annual cash flow and a market cap of about nine billion dollars. Those cash flows are coming back to us as shareholders. First, they're paying down the debt. Then they're going to give us buybacks and dividends. And that's, you know, people are saying peak steel and steel prices are going to come down. No, they're not. They've been saying that for months and they're staying up there. The reason they're staying up there is because auto demand is picking up and you've got infrastructure coming. So peak steel is the wrong thing to be looking at. Get into Cleveland Cliffs here. I didn't want Weiss to feel left out. So I do want you to talk about the XPO downgrade. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense to me, frankly. They've got a a target that's much higher than where the stock is. They had a rough quarter uh, because of labor costs, labor issues. We've seen that before with others. They'll recover. It's a great management team. Don't forget, this is the same management team that took GXO to where it is, and that just went through 100. So um, the same CEO, rather. So I like it. I bought more after the quarter. I'm very full in it. I'm not selling any. I think it's a great buy down here, though, and it'll go back to the old highs. Freight is where you want to be. Make no mistake. And this is right in the heart of it. And they're also asset light. They're a broker. And when you see the freight prices going on, man, that's just more going in the kitty. Okay. I can't believe it's been one year of the ETF known as Joe T., our own Joe Terranova. We're going to talk about the performance over that period, where Joe takes it from here. We'll do it next.
The French bank Société Générale expects $500 billion will be invested into the hydrogen industry globally by 2030. Sakjen notes total assets under management of hydrogen-related ETFs have risen from zero to over $600 million since the beginning of this year. Among the companies the firm believes are poised to benefit, Plug Power, Honeywell, and Caterpillar. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. It's been one year since the launch of the Terra Nova U.S. Quality Momentum ETF, an ETF that returned 34 percent in the last year. It's outperformed the S&P 500, the Quality ETF and the Momentum ETF. Joe, congratulations to you. Thank you very much for that, Scott. Yeah. Where do you take it from here? It's been it. Well, first of all, Scott, it's, it's really the culmination of 30 years of practicing and observing what successful investing is, is all about. Um, it's putting together a product that's available for all investors, that's rules-based, and it's really taking an index and modernizing it and putting it into a way, as Jim Cramer said last year, where you're culling the losers. Now, utilizing two factors of quality and momentum, I don't think people realize how much capital is invested in quality and momentum. Collectively, you're talking about over $50 billion. So the attempt was to improve on those individual factors. I'm very happy in the risk mitigation that we have uh, so far displayed in, uh, over the last year. And we really feel that we've got a product here that is going to be utilized for investors as a core equity holding for the long term. And you haven't been afraid to, to switch things up, too. You've got 45 holdings and 36 percent only. I'd say only 36 percent have remained constant since, since the inception. So, you know, your strategy uh, has to be a nimble one based on what you're, you're seeing on both quality and momentum sides of the equation. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, it's tactically oriented and it's defining exactly where the opportunities are. It's utilizing and studying the strength of the balance sheet along with respecting what I believe today modern day investors look at. And that's where you can define market uh, confidence. And that comes in the form of technicals. So certainly over the last year, uh, we have transitioned sector weightings accordingly to where markets have moved. This time last year when the product was introduced, we had a weighting towards technology that was slightly below 33 percent. 
Now it's in line at 28% with the S&P 500. But I think, Scott, you know that I've talked a lot about financials over the last year. Well, when we initiated uh, Joe T, it was 8.5% exposure to financials. Now we're up at 19.5%. Guess what, Scott? It's not really exposure to traditional banks. It's more about assets. And I talk on the show all the time about the gathering, management, pricing of assets. So it, it's about the NASDAQ. It's about Charles Schraub. It's about T. Rowe Price. It's about Blackstone. It's about Moody's. It's about S&P Global. Uh, so, so you're right. We are nimble. We are tactical. And we are believe that we've got a product here that's always trying to be uh, diligently in the right places of opportunity in the market. Well, look, momentum, lastly and, and quickly, if we, if we could, I mean, momentum alone is not enough, right? You have to have both sides no. working for you. And I, I, I say that as I bring up energy. You had zero energy at the beginning. And even though there's been a ton of momentum around energy, it's not like you have a dramatic overweight in energy at all. You have a very slight uh, holding in energy because I would suspect it lacks the quality that you would otherwise be looking for. Correct. We own Pioneer Natural Resources and Chenier Energy Partners. We need to see an improvement in the balance sheet. Uh, You've got to see debt reduction and you need to see more sustainable revenue growth. So you're correct. And that's exactly what this is, an attempt to improve upon momentum as a single factor. And I'm pretty confident that we're well on our way to doing that. All right. Congrats again uh, to you. I know it's it's been a big year and a a big day. We're, We're happy for you. All right. Coming up, Lucid Market Cap is topping Ford, close to GM valuations and the red hot EV trade are coming up next right here on The Half. As you know, it's been a wild week for EVs with names like Lucid and Rivian remaining volatile. Lucid now topping Ford's market valuation. And, you know, what's interesting, Steve, is that you've got Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas. He, you know, he's right up at the top of the list in terms of most respected analysts in this space. Um, he's skeptical on where Lucid's market cap is and where it could, could end up being. And this after Rivian is like, you know, what, I don't know, $108 billion at, at this point or whatever that one currently sits at. And I know you've been skeptical, too. Um, should we be paying closer attention to if people are looking for froth in the market, is this the place like it begins and ends? You know, it, it is definitely a lot of froth. And and I thought about that question quite a bit. Is, is this a warning sign that uh, maybe things are just getting a little too rich, a little too crazy, and this is euphoria that can build markets. Where I come out on it is that this is rather isolated, number one. Number two, I think that we're seeing a smaller segment of buyers than we saw in 99-2000, where it's just ubiquitous, that are doing these kind of things. So, so I'm not worried about from a market standpoint. If I were holders of those stocks, great vehicles, no question. But they can never grow into these valuations, at least not in any reasonable investment horizon. So I'd be careful not to say they can't go higher, but just not for me. Just way too rich for my blood. I'm staying disciplined. Yeah. Brenda, how do you play this, if at all? Yeah, so I would agree with with Steve's comments on valuation and the potential to grow into that valuation over time. I mean, we really play it in a completely different way uh, through some commodities exposure that we have, where we think uh, this whole transition to renewable energy, to electric cars and batteries, it's going to require a lot of commodities. And so there's going to be a supply-demand imbalance there for potentially the foreseeable future. All right. 
Up next, it was named the top performing private equity firm last year, and now it's raising a $10 billion technology fund. Where it sees opportunity to put some of that money to work, we will tell you next. Private equity remains one of the few asset classes that's outperformed public equities in this bull market. But there was one firm notching higher returns than all of the rest. Our Leslie Picker following the money for us. Leslie. Hey, Scott, that's right. For our latest Delivering Alpha newsletter, we sat down with Francisco Partners' DJ Deb, his first ever TV interview. Our conversation comes on the heels, as you mentioned, of his firm notching the top spot last year in an annual ranking of private equity performance. Now, he was unable to discuss specific return figures, but the tech investor attributed his recent success to a buoyant market while noting significant macro risks on the horizon. We're big believers in long-term tech. That doesn't mean you have to be careful. The markets are reasonably frothy today, so you need to pick and choose. Uh, But long-term, I think the trends are inexorable. There's only been four down years in technology in the last 50, and it's grown at double the rate of GDP. I asked Deb where specifically he sees that froth. He said two areas, large-scale software buyouts and late-stage growth equity investing. Many of the unicorns today are actually disrupting the world and deserve their valuations, but probably, I don't know, 70, 80% of them will have some sort of day of reckoning. They're not all going to disrupt the world. And people are conflating growth and quality and late stages of a bull market. And perhaps we're in the late stages of a bull market, the growth and quality became conflated. Despite the broader macro risks, Francisco Partners is reportedly raising a $10 billion fund to add to its $25 billion in AUM. Deb says he sees opportunity to put capital to work in division carve-outs and founder-backed companies. To watch our full interview with Deb or subscribe to our newsletter and or subscribe to our newsletter, go to cbc.com slash delivering alpha newsletter. Scott. All right, Leslie, good stuff. Thank you for that, Leslie Picker. We'll do final trades on the other side of this break. All right, let's do final trades. Joe T celebrating his anniversary. Well, Scott, I'll give you a name that was added to Joe T back on October 29th, and that's Pfizer. We have a 17% exposure to healthcare. Comes in the form of healthcare equipment names, but more recently comes in the form of Pfizer. Still, Jimmy loves this name. It's nice and cheap. I think right. it's going a lot higher. All right, Jimmy, I'm going to you then. All right, I'm operating under the principle of KISS. Keep it simple, Scott. Apple, 2% from an all-time high. It's clearly reaching that. The epic setback is done. Apple. I was just looking at that, almost 154 now. Brenda? Uh, PayPal. This company was a huge beneficiary of the COVID environment, but has since had an expectations reset that I think has provided an interesting opportunity to add or establish a position in a company that has industry-leading growth and is very innovative in yeah. this space. I've had a couple people in the last couple of days uh, jump into that name on the pullback. Uh, Bryn and Jason Snipe, I believe. Uh, Steve Weiss? Dick Sporting, they don't report till the 23rd. Stand a little today on the retail mm-hmm. sell. It's less than 10 times earnings compelling. Also, Skyworks is on Kramer's show today. The yeah. CEO, Liam, he's going to be great. I advise you to listen. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.